0: Well, good morning. Good morning, Abundant Life Church. I am so glad you're here today. How are you today? It's good to see you. Everybody's doing well. You guys just got married, right? Yes, congratulations. I don't typically point out people who get... Anybody else just get married? I want to raise your hand? Want to be equal opportunity people around here? Well, congratulations. Thank you. You're the only ones. And uh, it's so good to see you here. We are continuing uh, a series that we started last week, and it finishes up next week with, with all of us joining together, going out and serving the community in a phenomenal way what we call Serve the City. And so last week we talked about serving globally. And we used as a base for our discussion and our conversation last week, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says that when we choose to follow him, we become his witnesses. We become his testimony, his life, his salt in the community and he told us to go into Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and to the absolute ends of the earth. And so last week, we spent our, all of our time talking about uh, why we serve globally. And a, a couple of questions actually came up uh, to me this past week that I thought were good questions. And one of those questions was, how do we actually fund that, that global outreach? Well, and the short answer to that question is everything we do around here is done because of the tithes and offerings of, of all of you. And we made a decision years and years and years ago that just as we ask you to give of your tithes and offerings, your your 10% of your giving, as a church leadership, years ago, we made the decision that we would also give 10% back to our community and to the world, and so our our outreach budget, our local and global outreach budget is is 10% of what people give here, and that's how we arrive at that. And then someone else noticed and made an interesting observation as well, that a church as large as ours, we don't support a lot of, of people. And the reason for that, it really comes back as a philosophical thing. Really, with me, I grew up in churches that bragged about sponsoring or or supporting lots of missionaries. And so you would talk to somebody, and uh, so how many missionaries do you support? Oh, we have like 35 missionaries that we support. And it's like, yeah, that's great, but when you only send them like 25 bucks a month, it doesn't do a whole lot. And so philosophically, we support a few, but we try to support them well so that we can really help them do what God's called them to do. And so those kind of questions came up, so I just thought I'd kind of fill in the blanks on that. Today, we're talking about the importance of serving locally. Uh, We focused on to the ends of the earth last week. Now, this week, we're really focusing on Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Remember, Jerusalem, those closest to us relationally, Uh, Judea, those closest to us geographically. And then Samaria, those who are different uh, uh, ethnically and culturally, but still close to us geographically. And so that's really what we're focusing on. So how does that happen? How do we mobilize our church so that we're able to actually do the things that we've talked about doing? Well, it happens through serving. It happens through people like you, like me, who say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a part of what God's doing. In this world, and I'm going to be a part of it through my local church. So I want to begin by asking you a question. I want you to stop and think for just a moment. If you were to try to describe the church, okay, not Abundant Life Church, but the church, the big church, the global church, by using a means of water transportation, how would you describe the church? If you were to describe the church using water transportation, how would you describe the church? Okay, so somebody throw some answers out to me. Okay, just shout them out. A what boat? A pontoon boat. boat. That's the first time somebody's brought up a pontoon boat. By the way, everybody's so creative today. Somebody said submarine in the first one. And that's cool, a pontoon boat. Okay, what else? A life raft. Okay, all right. What else? I heard a ship. Okay, big old ship. Okay. What else? A sailboat. a sailboat. Okay, nobody's mentioned a sailboat. I like that. That's, that's got some great uh, analogies. You could certainly pull some things there. And so the, the point being, not any old boat is going to do. Okay? Now, for example, like describe an abundant life church. If I would describe this church, I would say not any old boat's going to work in describing this church. For example, we are not a one-man kayak, okay? I served under a pastor years ago that when we had a great outreach program. It was the kind of program where people like you, would give names to people uh, who were first-time guests, and would say, go see them and thank them for coming. Go see them and thank them for coming. Go see them and thank them for coming. And he came in to put a stop to the whole thing. And the reason is because he says, I don't want a bunch of people that going out there and messing up what I'm trying to do. So to me, that's kind of like a one-man kayak. That's not who we are, okay? Uh, nor are we a, a two-man kayak. Kind of like a us four and no more, kind of church, because there are churches like that, too. We just don't want a bunch of people around here. And the mentality is us four and and no more. Okay, again, that's not Abundant Life Church. In fact, our is the exact opposite. We want to reach as many people as possible for Jesus. Nor are we a cruise ship. Okay? We're not a cruise ship where, you know, everybody's in vacation mode, and everybody's eating way too much food and getting fatter and fatter and fatter. Okay? And we don't want to be that. We don't want to be a bunch of spiritual... um, obese people, where you just get a bunch of spiritual information, but you never do anything with it, but sit back and cruise and and just, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so we're not a cruise ship, nor are we a party boat. Uh, although I know our mission statement continues on to love God, love people, and love life, but by loving life, we don't mean being a party boat either. Okay, because there's some churches out there that think you know all of church. In fact, all of the Christian message is: if you choose to follow Jesus, then you know God's going to bless you. God's going to you make you rich, and God's going to make you so you never get sick, and all of life is going to come like smelling like roses. How many of you discovered that's not true? It's not true. And so, yes, we enjoy life and we want to live life to the fullest, but I wouldn't characterize the life church as a party (laughs) boat, okay? And I hope you wouldn't either. Nor are we a pirate ship, okay? People think, where is he going with this one? Well, sometimes people accuse us, because we're a larger church, of stealing people from other churches. We don't steal anybody, okay? I I tell people, we don't steal sheep, we grow grass. (laughs) Okay, we grow grass. And I don't mean... That kind of grass, okay? Because some of you are thinking, where, where? <laughs> no, we don't, we don't grow grass. We, you know, we, just, we just try to, to be who Jesus wants us to be. And if it reaches some people, that's great. But we don't steal cheap. Nor are we a, uh, a speedboat. Although I know, uh, I know we're a lot faster. We move a whole lot faster than some churches I know, okay? Nor are we uh, a luxury... Yacht, okay. We have a a phrase that we have used in the past that we want excellence without extravagance. And so I don't bless you, I don't think anybody um, would say that we are an extravagant church. I mean, if you kind of look at the way things are, we're not very extravagant, but we want things to be done with excellence, okay. Nor are we an inner tube just meandering down the, down the river. Okay, because again, there's some churches that of—they have no sense of urgency whatsoever. And life is just floating down the stream and whatever happens, happens. No, we have a great sense of urgency here. We really believe that Jesus is going to return one day and it could be soon. And we can't afford just to be meandering down the river on an inner tube. Okay, this next one is probably... Most like what, what I would say at this point, okay, a, a lifeboat and we're here to rescue people, help people to find Jesus rescue people but there's one more mode of transportation that I think better describes who we are as a church anybody want to guess what it is? It's a, well you're close that's kind of what that is, it's an outrigger canoe, has anybody here ever participated in an outrigger canoe before? anybody here? Like a dragon boat thing? Yeah, uh, I never have. And so I don't really know a lot about these uh, other than the fact that uh, they may look like they're relatively easy to maneuver. But as you notice, there's six people in this outrigger canoe and every person in this boat has a specific role. Every person has a specific responsibility. The person in the front has to be, uh, has to be extremely how should I say it? They have to be really, really good. They have to exercise every move with exact precision because they're in the front and they're leading. The person in number two position has to be able to follow that person extremely well. They have to look at them and see exactly what they're doing be able to emulate that because they know other people behind them are going to be following this person. The third person has an interesting role because they have the, the responsibility of calling out when they switch positions. And so they have to do that with exact timing and again with precision. Positions three or four and five in the boat, they're the powerhouse people in the boat, okay? They're the ones who provide the energy, they're the ones who provide the uh, enthusiasm and the exhortation to keep the team moving forward. Position number six in the back of the boat does nothing. They just sit there and go along for the ride. No, that's not true okay the person in the back has an extremely important position and that position is to steer and to make sure that they're headed in the direction that they're supposed to go and I think wow that's such a great picture of what the church should be like I actually believe it's a picture of what this church is like it's not that we're a perfect because we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination But I believe God has blessed us because we've been able to see a lot of people serving and and rowing the boat according to their gifts and abilities. And because of that, the church is able to move forward. God's called us to a great mission. And it's a mission that requires every person to be involved And so let me share with you three thoughts before Greg comes up and talks to us a little bit more about what we're doing locally. What do we believe about serving? Because if if you're a part of this church, this is what we desire for you to believe about serving as well. Here's the first thing that every Christ follower is a minister. Every person who has chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Is a minister, is a servant, okay? I know many times when you get the picture of a minister, you get the idea of a pastor or a priest with a collar or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. The word minister means servant. What that means is you have a job, you have a role, you have a responsibility, you have a place on the team, you have a place in the canoe. And what you do is very important. And so every person is a minister. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. You've been given a gift. You've been given an ability. You've been given a talent. You've been given the, 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 a certain personality. All of these things God uses to move his mission forward. How many of you have ever been on one of those bicycles where six or eight people ride in? You're probably not really officially called a bicycle, but you know what I'm talking about. You've been to Seaside maybe? Anybody here? A few of you? Okay. If you've ever done that, what, you know what it's like if, if like, maybe three of you are actually pedaling and the rest of the people are just sitting a lot back along for the ride. You know what I mean? And it's it's like you're pedaling, you're working hard, and you look back, and somebody else is back sipping on a Coke, and another one's, you know, looking around, and another one, you you know, talking to people, waving and stuff like this, and doing nothing. And you want to look at them and say, what is your problem? I mean, this thing is heavy. This thing, it's got six seats. I mean, six people, six sets of pedals. Let's all of us work together on doing this. And it can be frustrating when when somebody's not doing their part. And so just like in this canoe, it requires all of us. You have a job. You have a role. You have a position. Here's the second thing that we want you to see. Every ministry is important. Every single ministry is important in the church. Now, let me ask you a question. What ministries do people tend to think are the most important ones in the church? Anybody want to guess? Yeah, preaching, teaching type ministries, okay. Uh, Hmm? Worship Worship team, okay. So, so far, the first two things are kind of the upfront kind of ministries. And we think, wow, that's the most important. I mean, when you come in, that's what you see. You see the worship band, you see the worship leaders, you see some guy talking, and you think those are the most important gifts by far. Well, yeah, they're important, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're the most important. In fact, I would say there's, there's equal importance. Okay, to be fair, the reality is all of the ministries are of equal importance. But if I were to actually lean one way or the other, I'd almost, I'd lean maybe toward those ministries that you can't see. Because there's so much going on. I mean, you're looking at one person right now speak, but there's... Dozens and dozens of ministries that are going on right now that make it possible for me to speak. For example, people who parked cars, people who made coffee to keep you awake, people back there teaching children, people running cameras, everybody turned away to the camera people, they never get anybody away with them waving at the camera people, and, and all kinds of stuff that are going on to make ministry happen. In fact, I would go so far as to say, when you look at the church, it's those behind-the-scenes ministries that really hold the church together, that keep it going. Let's take the human body, for example. When you look at a human being, uh, you know, I, I hope I, I never lose my eyesight. I, I'm so grateful that God has given me the ability to be able to see but the reality is, if I lost my eyesight, would I be able to continue to live? Yes. If I lost my hearing, I would continue to be able to live. What if I were to lose my, my kidneys? Okay. Which, by the way, I would say, uh, you know, what's the custodian of, of my body? Probably my kidneys, okay? My liver. And, and yet you never see those at work. I've never had anybody come up to me and say, wow. I'd love to have kidneys like yours. <laughs> you know, I'd, l- I'd love to be able to just have a kidney like yours. Now, I've had people come up and say, oh, I wish I could teach like you, you know? But the reality is, if, if it weren't for my kidneys, I wouldn't be up here teaching. But you never see them, you never comment on them. Same thing's true about our church body. It's those behind the scenes. Is is kind of like that, that four and five position in, in the uh, canoe. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now all of you are Christ's body. Would you read the rest of this with me? And each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Everybody say separate. Separate. And necessary. I want you to circle those two words. Because what what Paul is saying when he says we are separate, what that means is we're different in function. We all have a different function within the church, but we have equal value. That's the necessary part. We're different in function, but we have equal value. I mean, just try to picture what would the church look like if I was the only person doing ministry? What would it look like? I'm going to show you. Here's a Watch this. This will give you a picture of what I'm talking about. All right, so listen, I had somebody tell me after the last service, last week you looked tired. Well, what do you expect? My gosh, I'm doing everything around here. No, isn't it good to know that I don't have to do everything? I mean, how horrible a position that would be and how it, what a horrible condition our church would be if that were the case. Here's number three. Every ministry exists to fulfill the mission it doesn't really matter which ministry you're involved in as long as you're serving in areas where you have a heart and you have a passion because every single ministry is designed to help move us and move our mission down the road. Whether you're helping to park people when they come in the parking lot, you're greeting people at the door, you're preparing coffee, you're distributing bulletins and communion, if they're teaching in the nursery or working with students, if they're playing an instrument on the stage or whatever it happens to be, every ministry is designed to help us carry out our mission of reaching as many people as possible for Jesus Christ. And so my challenge to you is if you're not in a ministry right now be praying about how God could use you. And the way you discover your ministry, just get involved in doing stuff. And you're going to find the one that suits you well. And you're going to help us to continue reaching people in our own Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And continue to reach people around the world. So would you welcome Greg as he comes now and talk specifically about some of the stuff that we're doing locally around here. Thank you, Greg.
1: Thanks, George. So what happens when we serve locally together as a corporate body of believers? Well, a couple of things, and the first is this, we experience the joy of making a difference together, because there's going to be joy in accomplishing something that is not possible by yourself. Can you imagine one person trying to paddle that outrigger canoe that George referenced? It's 42 feet long, weighs more than 400 pounds. It's possible, but it'd be really awkward, really inefficient. It'd zigzag everywhere, and it'd be—I think it'd be a frustrating experience, as opposed to working as a team when you accomplish the task and the the high fives and the joy that 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 happens. So, I've been a whitewater raft guide, and I have a little badge that says "Swiftwater Rescue Technician," and I can tell you that. Everyone in that paddle boat has a job to do. The person in the very front row, in the front left and the front compartment, sets the pace, paddles aggressively, and everybody else is to to paddle in unison because you need paddling power to get through big rapids. Without that forward momentum to push through some of these big standing waves, a wave will actually stall the boat and then flip it. Everybody has an out-of-boat experience, and bad things can happen. It's no bueno, so you don't want that. You want that paddling power. And I can remember uh, on one occasion I had six junior high girls that I was responsible for. And to say that they were not strong paddlers would be a really mild understatement. (laughs) We were approaching a rapid called Scissors, which the entire river comes down this really narrow point and and then breaks out again like that. And so it's not technical, it's a straight shot, but the big big waves there and girls are getting tossed around and, you know, they just stopped paddling. I mean, right turn, left turn, forward paddle. They didn't do anything. They just stopped paddling. And sure enough, we hit the side, the, on the right side of the, the granite wall, so the river pushed us. And I watched the boat as we hit the, and then we climbed the granite wall. And every one of those girls went for a swim. And I, you know, I, I don't like it when that happens, because like I said, bad things happen. So I fished them all back in the boat within 30 seconds. It was really fast. But the drama after that. They're all in the middle of the boat, and they're hugging, and they're crying. I thought you were going to die. It's like, oh, my goodness. And that was burned into my brain as to what happens when we don't work together, as opposed to, you know, normally you go through a big rapid like Satan's cesspool or Troublemaker or something, everybody does high-fives with their paddles. It's, it's way more fun. Philippians 2 verse 2 says this, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. The Italy festival team is getting ready to go to Naples, Italy. They're going to be working with local churches there in the Naples area. One half of 1% of people in Italy claim to be born-again believers. Nobody's, most people have never heard the, the message that God loves them. And so they conduct what I would call like a Luis Palau type of a crusade where Italians love Americans and American culture. The Americans come and set up these booths in a park, and it has to do with a chocolate chip cookie baking or line dancing, face painting, just all sorts of things like that. Local Italians come to this festival literally by the thousands, and there's Christian worship bands playing, and then at 8.30 at night... Doug Valenzuela, the missionary there at the big stage with lighting and sound, and he preaches a gospel message. And every night, there are people that come to Christ. And it's so cool to be a part of because Italians come to see the Americans, but it's the Italians that are reaching other Italians with the gospel. And it's really an amazing partnership. See, the community and the world is better served when we work together. Well, secondly, we meet the needs of those closest to us. And it's true that God loves everyone, but if you read the Bible, you'll see God's heart for the poor. He has a special place in his heart for those who are desperately in need. Proverbs 14, verse 31 says, He who oppresses the needy shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And last week we talked about starting where you are, your Jerusalem. Well, here's a news flash. Our Jerusalem includes Rockwood, which is a neighborhood in distress, close to us. People in our own backyard, literally. And this is a slide of Rockwood actually consists of the western boundary of Gresham. It's where Gresham and Portland come together. The western boundary of Gresham is Rockwood. 11,000 families, 32,000 people. And uh, as you can see from this, 61 languages spoken at home. That might be a little bit dated, The elementary school that we're gonna be serving at next Sunday, Lynch Meadows School, I understand has like as many as 87 languages spoken at home. It's a Very diverse group of people. And then secondly, on the second slide, Rockwood is the epicenter for childhood poverty in the state of Oregon. There's not even a close second. It's the poverty rate for children is 39%. More than one in three children live below the poverty line here in Rockwood. It's also the most violent place in the state of Oregon. It is a community in distress. The need is right in our own backyard. In fact, if you lived here at Abundant Life Church, your kids would go to Centennial Middle School and Centennial High School. That's that's, that's where we're gonna be working on next week because we're we're not gonna go to church, we're gonna be the church. And the plan is for us to serve the city by doing school makeovers at Lynch Meadows Elementary School, Centennial Middle School, Centennial High School, and the school district offices there. The Sandy campus is going to be the church by making over the Sandy High School, Sandy Elementary School, the Vancouver campus. is going to be serving their neighbors by ministering with Giving Grace Ministries, which is a ministry to the homeless in Vancouver. You see, any of those projects, though, are way too big for one person. So that's why we're encouraging everybody to get involved. Because working together, we can make such a bigger impact and difference. Serving together next weekend... Our church body is going to accomplish far more. We'll make a significant difference than if just a few of us were going to show up to bark dust or or whatever. Well, number three, the church is strengthened and God is glorified. See, when we serve, those two things happen. The church is strengthened, God is glorified. First, Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, it was he, referring to Jesus, who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So look at that phrase, so the body of Christ may be built up. Because the Christian faith is not a spectator sport. It's meant to be lived out in community. And then the second thing that happens when we serve together is that God is glorified. This is how Jesus put it in Matthew 5:16: You are like that illuminating light. Let your light shine everywhere you go, that you may illumine creation, so men and women everywhere may see your good actions, may see creation at its fullest, may see your devotion to me, and may turn and praise your Father in heaven because of it. In the state of Oregon, there are more than 13,000 children a year that spend some time in the foster care system. Now, these are children whose families are the worst case scenarios. These are families who are no longer able or willing to care for these children. Tragic, heartbreaking stories. Jelana Goble saw the need of these children to decide to do something about it because 13,000 is overwhelming the DHS system, Department of Human Services, the foster care system. She realized that the need was bigger than what one person could meet, so she founded Embrace Oregon, which is a faith-based nonprofit that comes alongside and partners with DHS to help foster children. Take a look at this video of Embrace Oregon.
2: We wanna work in partnership with DHS Child Welfare to serve the children that are hurting in our communities. So where do these children go? They go to the DHS office. They are waiting in these visitations. This is sacred space where they meet with their parents for an hour or two each week. And prior to the churches coming and doing these makeovers, the rooms were shabby and dismal and dark and depressing and just thought, man, we need to communicate that that these families and these children are valuable and loved and cared about. So all of the eight child welfare offices in the Tri-County area are in some phase of receiving a makeover. The dignity that that has given families, what I've seen from my end,
3: is that people come into offices where everything's been made over, That the toys are new, they're, they're clean, uh, there's ideas for them to help them with their parenting. It's given staff dignity, you know, uh, they've been moved to tears often. You know, that kind of motivation for people, people start doing their best work. I see families trying their best um, because they know that someone cares now and that's where we're going to have the chance to break the cycles.
1: The dream for me is to be able to see the number of kids, the list of number of kids that are waiting for a family to decrease and the number of families waiting to care for a kid or a child to increase.
2: And where we're at now with Embrace Oregon is just really sending the message that whether it's inviting a child into your home or whether it's embracing at another level, there is a part or a role that everybody can play.
3: When DHS and the faith communities are talking about embrace Oregon, what we mean is you know, embrace your community, embrace your neighbor. It means taking care of that biological family that's dealing with poverty issues or substance abuse. It means embracing a child and allowing them into your home so they can be they can heal and be safe and cared for while their parents are working on what they need to work on. It can be embracing that teen that's aging out of the system and doesn't know how to balance the checkbook that needs a mentor because there's so many ways that we can embrace each other and that's our chance to heal.
0: The reality is it has to be more than just one person, more than just one program, mm-hmm. more than just one agency. It has to be a collective effort to bring collective impact in a way that can change this thing forever.
1: And I'm so proud that Embrace Oregon is actually going to be here at Abundant Life visiting us next month with opportunities to volunteer because 13,000 kids a year has overwhelmed the system. And so believers are, are getting involved. And not just being a foster parent. If, you can, if you're not in a position to do that, that's a, that's a huge commitment, but there are other opportunities, welcome boxes for kids, or lunch boxes for those kids aging out of the system, or office moms and dads, but there's lots of opportunities to meet the needs of those that are most vulnerable and those at risk in our community. But I think the catalytic thing that really transformed it all, and Jelana Goble mentioned this, was a DHS office makeover. It happened two years ago at the Gresham DHS office, where the offices were, there were they're run down and not kept up. They're institutional in the worst sense of that word, very sterile. And these are places where kids that have been in foster care, they, they meet their biological parents for one hour each week. And the, the way the, the offices were, were just was communicating like, these children don't matter. And so a bunch of churches got together and contributed $60,000 and a weekend of sweat equity, and they transformed that office space. I recently, with a small group of people from here, had the opportunity to visit and, and see the transformation. And it was amazing because the, the person who's in charge of the DHS office there said, now you know, once, once we let the caseworkers know that you guys are with churches, you're probably going to get hugged because everybody is so appreciative. And what that has done, though, is opened the door for ministry to happen. And churches have stepped up and they're getting involved and they're making such a huge difference and impact. 1 John 3 verses 17 and 18 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and truth. See, our obedience is the way that determines whether or not we really know God. Following Christ means more than just saying a prayer and you're good to go. See, the parts about, in the Bible about helping the, helping the poor and fighting injustice and being salt and light to a broken planet, those things aren't optional. Make no mistake, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by faith but we are saved not by works, but for good works. Works isn't the cause of salvation, but rather is the effect of it. And you don't have to go to Africa or a third world country to find poverty. It's right here in our backyard. And it is just as damaging to the human spirit. In the US, we tend to think of poverty in material terms. We think poverty is a lack of stuff. But for those who have to live with poverty, their descriptions are far more emotional and spiritual. It is debilitating to the spirit. My favorite definition of poverty is a lack of options. And because of God's heart for the poor, we are called to be part of the solution. Jesus called his followers not only to proclaim the good news, but to actually be the good news. He taught us to pray thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God isn't just an escape, from this world as the means to redeem it. Albert Schweitzer was a scholar who left the university to serve in the sub-Saharan African jungle. He provided medical aid to those who needed it the most around the first part of the 20th century. He won a Nobel Peace Prize, but this is what he said. He said, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be truly happy are those who have found how to serve. Jesus said in Mark 10 24, he says, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I find it interesting that when God chose to connect to us, he did so as a servant. And so if God connected with us as a servant, that becomes a way then that we connect with other people in this world. And if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now and participate in what God is doing around the world and in our community. You can pray a prayer out loud with me, and if you have made Jesus your Lord, I'd encourage you to pray out loud as well. Will you join me as we close in prayer? God, I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I commit my life to you. Thank you for salvation. Use me to serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.